0: Welcome to more to come, and thank you for joining us for this week's interview special. Hi, this is Kate Fitzsimmons, and I'm interviewing Caitlin Kitteridge from the new book Coffin Hill.
1: Hi, I'm Caitlin Kitteridge. I write the uh, horror comic Coffin Hill for DC Vertigo, and I'm really happy to be here. So, so let's
0: start with uh, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about Coffin Hill.
1: Sure. Coffin Hill is uh, set in uh, the town of Coffin Hill, Massachusetts. It's a fictional town, but it's based on a real one where I actually live. And it's the story of Eve Coffin, who is a witch who 10 years ago when she was 16, conducted a black magic ritual that unleashed an unspeakable evil in the woods around the town. And she ran away to try to get away from what she'd done. But now she's been forced to come back and confront what happened 10 years ago, and along with a lot of secrets from her family that she's been trying to ignore or deny for her whole life. So it's really about you finally getting in touch with her witch side. So is it a limited series? or? Yeah, it's, it's ongoing. It's, it's monthly. It's, um, it's, been, it's been great so far. The reception's been great. So I'm really excited to be working on something that's like so long form. So you've
0: said that you've liked comics since you were a teenager. Can you tell us a little about your...
1: History with comics? Oh sure, yeah, um, yeah. I've been a, a reader of comics um, for a long time. I really, I was, I was really into like, um, you know, the superhero cartoons, and I was a kid with Batman and the X Men and stuff. And I got into reading comics, when I was about thirteen. I started reading um, superhero comics. that's all. I basically just picked up whatever I could find. And then when I was in college, somebody gave me the first volume of the Sandman comics. And so I think this might be up your alley. Cause I was like a little goth horror chick with like my black clothes and my big stompy boots. And those. my friend was like, you'll totally love this. And I did. I loved it so much that I like ran out and got like the whole series and just like devoured them over a weekend. And I started looking for anything else vertigo that I could find. And it just all kind of snowballed from there. And I started reading vertigo comics indie comics i still read superhero comics but i'm pretty omniferous. i just read what i enjoy and still kind of read whatever i can get my hands on when i have the time
0: your, your black london series has been favorably compared to hellblazer uh has vertigo been an influence on your regular fantasy and horror novels
1: Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, I learned so much about storytelling from the stories of the Comics when I was a baby writer back in college. So I definitely think they've been an influence, if not directly on my stories, and definitely in how I tell stories and how I look at stories of the supernatural and the horrific and how it, they really can be elevated to something greater than just, like, you know, a story about a vampire or a story about a witch. And I just, I really think that that was such a great thing for me to find at the time that I did, because I think it really did shape, like the kind of books that I wrote later in life.
0: So what specifically influenced Coffin Hill? I mean, I know that um, one of your series was very heavily H.P. Lovecraft influenced. uh, Some of your other books show show other sort of fictional roots or or real-life roots. What came together in your head to, to help create what you're going for with Coffin Hill?
1: Well, a couple of things. Um, it's The Coffin Hill, the history is really closely tied to the Salem Witch Trials, and I grew up about 45 minutes or an hour from Salem, so I went there a lot, like, on field trips and various things when I was a kid, and it um it really, we, you know, we always, like, learned about the Salem Witch Trials in school, and it was kind of all over the place, and it's just, um I think it really imprinted on me, because I always found it so incredibly sad that, like, something like that could happen, and all these innocent people died, and... When I was in time to work on Coffin Hill, I just kind of thought like, what if there was actually a witch in Salem who was doing bad things? And she just happened to escape and let all these innocent people take the fall for her. I was like, well, she'd probably be pretty bad. And that was kind of where the first Coffin witch in the New World grew out of, who is was Eve's like, direct ancestor. And she's she's not a good witch. She's definitely a bad witch. Um, <laughs> and um, you mean, I mean Eve,
0: the- or do you mean her, her ancestor, the Coffin witch? Oh,
1: great. Her- her ancestor. I'm sorry. Yeah, she she's um she start, she kind of started the line in the new world of, of these really powerful witches who usually are inclined to black magic as as was Eve before growing up. The story of Coffin Hills. that yeah, growing up definitely. So so yeah, I know they're they're not they're not like they're not like the nicest people for families, <laughs> for
0: sure. Um. Okay. This is going to be a little spoilery for the first issue, but I, I figure it's the first issue, so it's probably not a big deal. Um, In the first issue, it opens with Eve as a rookie police officer who's made this incredible caller of this serial killer. And then something bad happens, and it's unclear to me by the end of the first issue whether or not she has officially left the police department or not, or is on some kind of leave.
1: Yeah, she has. She she definitely has. Yeah, that doesn't that doesn't come back into play in this first story arc. Yeah, she's just she's she's forced to go home. Is what starts kicks off the whole story of, of issue one and and subsequent issues because she she never wanted to come home again because this society is like her worst mistake and you know basically the night that changed her life. But she's forced to because she doesn't have anywhere else to go. So so that's
0: an awful lot of backstory to put in the background within one issue. Will we be coming back to that? Almost incident of the serial killer, and and her times. Uh, yeah, I can
1: I can def yeah I can definitely say that nothing in the first issue is there without a reason. So everything that you have seen will play into the story somehow. So,
0: <laughs> so I've heard that you previously pitched a different story to Vertigo, and it didn't really work out. Um, but out of curiosity, what story was that? What direction was? what's your
1: story going in? Oh gosh, I probably, I probably pitched three or four things to Shelly, my editor, before we finally found something that worked and, um, oh, there are just various things. Um, there was another horror book. There was like a straight crime book with no supernatural elements. There, I, 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 we tried quite a few different things just to kind of find our feet and see what we were most compatible to work on and Coffin Hill turned out to be it and I think it's good that it was this one. I think, I think this one Which one is the one I like the best. Definitely thinking back on those other pitches. Where does the the look
0: of Coffin Hill come from? Because it doesn't really look like uh, the previous books that your artist has done. Did you work together with him on, you know, what you wanted to look like? Or was it all him? Or did your editor play into it? Or, you know, where does that come from?
1: I, I definitely. I definitely made some suggestions um, regarding just the general kind of mood and feel of the art. I definitely told him that the story takes place in fall, and I definitely made it clear that it should be, you know, kind of a little bit dark, a little bit desolate, a little bit threatening as far as the mood went. And really, he just ran with that. So that, most of what you see on the page is all him. Like, he came up with the kind of look and feel pretty much on his own. And, I mean, like, he does an incredible job, obviously. I didn't really need to be that involved in that part of the process. And um, I gave, I definitely, like, we, we came up with the character designs for the main characters together, especially Eve. And we, you know, I, we, we, we looked at a lot of reference photos to come up with her, her, big, um, her big, like, gothic mansion that her family lives in, which is called Coffin House. And I gave them a lot of suggestions for, like, little details, like, you know, to make it kind of authentically... New England but really like I said it's it's 99% him he did the most amazing job just coming up with this kind of unified look for all the art in the book so I I really I'm really lucky that I landed with him quite honestly
0: so this is your first book with Vertigo um have you written any comics in the past I mean I haven't any evidence of it on the internet or anything
1: um no this is my very first foray into comics so it's um it's it's a little bit terrifying and a lot exciting is how I describe it to most people because I've been a novelist up to this point and I've written um, 14 books so I'm, I'm pretty much old hat at that but this is like my very first comic book project so I am feel pretty lucky that I got to do it with Vertigo because a lot of people look at that and it's pretty crazy.
0: <laughs> yeah, it seems like a really good fit for your tone. I mean I'm, I'm going to admit that the thing that made Coffin Hill jump out at me is that I had previously enjoyed some of your other books,
2: and I thought,
0: that's a really good fit. A lot of times you, you see a creator and a comic company or imprint, and you wonder, how's that going to work? But you have a very vertigo sensibility, whether that's a chicken or egg thing, I don't know. Um, but it, <laughs> it seems to be a really good marriage of talent and, you know, outlet. Oh,
1: thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, I, I totally, 100% agree with you. Like, I love good, and I'm super, I'm super out to be working with them, and I, I definitely also think we're a good fit, because like I said, I've definitely been a dark horror person for a long time, and I'm I just like, you know, I, I just don't really think this book could have landed anywhere else, honestly. So. So what are some comics that you're currently reading these days? Um, I'm reading, God, I'm reading so many. I buy them every week, and at my comic book store, and I am actually kind of behind right now, um, I, let's see. I'm just going to look through my pile, and we're going to talk about a few that I'm enjoying. <laughs> um, I'm reading. Um, I'm reading a really great one right now called Mind the Gap, which is written by Jim McCann. who's done a lot of work for Marvel. He um, writes with the Hawkeye comics for Marvel, and a bunch of other great stuff. Mind the Gap is an indie. Um, it's from Image, and it's just really great. I can't, I can't. I don't want to give away too much to people who haven't read it because it's super twisty and spoilery. But it's. It, you should definitely. If you like Coffin Hill, you should definitely pick up Mind the Gap. Mind the Gap. And, um, another one I just ordered this week and I'm really excited about is called, um, Pretty Deadly. It's, yeah, Pretty Deadly. It's, um, it's, it's by, uh, written by Kelly Sue DeConnick and the arts by Emma Rios and it's just fantastic. I can't say enough good things about it. And uh, I, um, oh, another one that I'm really enjoying. This is definitely uh, for adults only thing, not safe for work. Um, it's a book called, um, it's a book called Sex Criminals written by, uh, of Matt Fraction, who is actually um, Kelly Sue husband, so um, they're, they're both putting out great stuff right now, but um, I, I don't really know how to describe sex criminals and keep it, like, PG-13 rated, but it's hilarious and amazing, and if you like funny stories about, like, time travel or, you know, relationships or anything like that, basically, if you like sci-fi and romantic comedies, you will like sex criminals, <laughs> so those are the three that I'm enjoying right now that I just kind of found in the top of my pull list there. So, so if,
0: if you could imagine like your dream comic that, um, not you, but you could get to read, like what would it
1: be? Oh, geez. Um, I hope you realize you've just asked me an impossible question. <laughs>
0: That's okay. This is sort of a I have time. so dying.
1: I have so many I have so many favorites. I have so many favorites and I love um, I love like so many different artists and writers. Um, I'm gonna be I'm gonna just go back to my first love of in comics which was which was Batman and say that I, I don't think he will ever I, he, I don't I don't know if he will ever come back to writing Batman, but um, there's a comic there's a comic writer called Greg Rockup who did some of the most incredible Batman stories. He did, he wrote a, he co-wrote a book called Gotham Central yeah. and he w- wrote a series called the question and they're just amazing. I would love to see Greg Rucka come back and do another Batman story, but that way I don't think he will. And that's okay. I just, well, it's just my, it's just my little, my little fantasy fantasy football comics wish list. So just off the top of my head, oh, I could go on for hours. You, you, you've asked me like a dangerous impossible question there.
0: Well, so What's it like, the creative process of, of working in comics and working for Vertigo after being a solitary novelist for so long?
1: Um, it's, you're, you're absolutely right about novel writing being super solitary, and creating a comic with an artist is not super solitary, so that was honestly the thing I had to get used to the most was the collaborative aspect of it, but I love it. I love having like this immediate feedback from somebody, and I love having somebody to bounce ideas off of, and... He lives in Madrid, so, like, he's up at really weird times. So, like, when I'm up at, like, 3 a.m. here, he's already, like, up and eating his lunch. So I can email him anytime and be like, hey, I just had this idea. And, you know, we can go back and forth. And um, Shelly, our editor, is great. And it's very, it's very different. Um, it's very fast compared to novel writing. Like, things happen within a matter of weeks instead of a matter of months. And, like I said, there is that collaborative aspect. Because once I turn in the script, like, I'm no longer the only person involved in it. Like, there's two other people who are putting just as much work into it as I am. So it's really neat. It's neat to have somebody to kind of share the creativity with and just kind of feel like you're all in it together. And I don't, you know, you don't get that with novel writing until everything is done and the book is polished, and then you send it to your editor, and you go through the rounds of edits and stuff. But it's still, it's your thing. You're shouldering the entire project. And so I I really do enjoy having a co-creator. It's been a really rewarding experience, and I think it's definitely pushed me Um, as a writer, especially like getting up to speed of turning in these scripts, like every couple of weeks, it's been, it's been really great for my productivity. So (laughs) my book editors are also really happy about that. So is
0: there anything that you'd like to tell our listeners that I have somehow forgotten
1: or not even thought of? Uh... I mean, really, this is this is a little bit, like, TV and personal, but, like, Hoffman Hill is really my baby. It's, like, the project of my heart. So I'm just so thrilled that it's out there and that so many people are reading it and mostly liking it. I'm just really thrilled. And if it sounds good to you, I would love it if you would also go pick it up, all you people out there listening. So that's, that's really it. And I know it's, it's like, I know it's, like, super corny, but, like, it really, it really is. This project has been my baby for a long time. Mm-hmm. So I'm just really thrilled that it's finally out there. <laughs>
0: Well, you know, um, it's not only in comic book stores, but it's also available on Comixology, and I must say the digital version looks really good.
1: Oh, good. Yeah, I haven't I haven't seen it, so I'm really glad to hear that. That's that's a good It thing. comes through very clearly. It's very nice. <laughs> great, great. Yeah, I would I would hate for for Nyanki's wonderful art to, you know, not not get the best showing it could. But so that's that's great. That's really that's really good to hear. Yeah, I have I am I am I'm I'm a paper reader person. Generally, I like to be able to sit, you know, sit in sit on my couch and have a big sex Thomas next to me. It's very rewarding to get through them all and see the track go down.
0: Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure speaking with you.
1: Yeah, it's it's great talking with you. Thanks so much.
3: Okay, I'm here with uh, Royden Lepp, writer, artist, creator of Rust, which second volume just came out recently, and it's a great book, selling well, doing well. And how's it going, man? How's the con?
2: It's great. It's been a great show. This is my first time uh, at the New York Con, so it's a it's a great experience to see the floor and get to meet new fans on the East Coast. So yeah, it's been really fun. Is it uh, what you expected, or is it? I think so. I expected it to be tons of people and hard to walk around and lots of costumes it's all it's all of that oh yeah Yeah.
3: and uh, talk a little bit about rust I know it's you know it's getting great critically it's doing well seems to be selling well and talk a little bit about how you know you got got it
2: started sure yeah rust has been something I've been working on for years it's a a real passion project for me yeah, it's, it, you know, the inspiration kind of comes from my growing up on the Canadian prairies and my love of uh, drawing robots and kids with the jetpack, you know, so uh, um, bringing those things together to create, you know, a really fun science fiction story that would appeal to all ages, ideally, was just something, you know, I, I, I gravitate towards, so it's been a really fun project. I never really get tired of working on it. Um, we're closing out volume 3 right now hoping to get it in stores in early 2014 but uh, it's great to meet people here today you know they're they're loving volume, volume 2 and they're still on board with the story so yeah it's been it's been really fun
3: fan response has been great
2: yeah really really great yeah people there, there's nothing like people coming by and just even especially for me the fans that come by and they don't get a book signed or anything. They just stop and they put their hand on the table and say, hey, I got a place to be, but I just want you to know I, I read Rust this. and yeah. I love this. Yeah, thank you for making it. it. makes it all worth it, right? Yeah, yeah and that's that's kind of how I respond to creators. I you know I kind of cruise by and I'm always like, hey, thank you for making that book. I really liked it. Yeah. Um, so that, that means a lot.
3: And how'd you hook up with uh, Arkea?
2: Arkea, I met them in San Diego in uh, 2010, I think it was. Um, I sent them Rust. Uh, a little bit before San Diego and uh, so we started talking before the show and then I actually got to meet with uh, Mark Smiley and uh, some of the other folks uh, on the floor in San Diego and we talked about Rust and what it, what it could be, what it would look like, you know, how it would be presented and packaged and uh, it was in that discussion I knew they were the right publisher for the book.
3: Yeah, they have a great selection of books for all ages, and Rust seems to fit perfectly right in there. Um, anything else you're working on aside from Rust that you want to talk about?
2: Um, no, probably not specifically. Rust takes up a lot of my time because I have a day job. I work full time in video games, game, okay. Yeah, animation, concept art. So Rust is still, you know, outside of that. I have yeah. a lot of other things I want to do. A lot of, a lot of other ideas for books and uh, just other creative projects, but they're I'm keeping them on the back burner because uh, I really want to get Rust complete out. and out yeah. of the fence.
3: And are you, like you said before, are you just going to keep keep doing it until you can't? Or is there a set, do you have an ending in mind? or?
2: Yeah, the, the series will end in volume four. Okay. So that, that'll be the last book. If we, after that, continue to explore you know, the Rust universe, that would be really exciting. But this story arc for this. But this story of Rust is going to have a very definite conclusion in Volume 4.
3: Cool. And uh, I know there's talk of a movie possibly happening with Rust. Is there anything you can say about that?
2: Yeah, yeah. Um, we sold the uh, the option to the motion picture rights to uh, 20th Century Fox. Oh, fantastic. Or, or I should say they, they auctioned it, um, the motion picture rights. So yeah, that's been a really, really exciting process actually. Uh, Getting to kind of get a first-hand look at the development of a film, um, from you know writing the script to getting all the right people involved, and and all along the way, I've been able to stay involved with it as well.
3: That's crucial. Yeah.
2: Yeah, which is really cool. Very often the creator is not involved for multiple reasons, which a lot of makes sense. But Vox um, has been really excited about this project, and and. Have always kept me in the forefront of uh, the action of it, so to speak. So it's it's been a really really great, yeah. exciting ride.
3: So is there anything at the con right now that you've seen that has uh, caught your eye that you want
2: to mention? Oh man, I haven't got I haven't got over all the floor yet. I haven't got to cover ground. Um, I love spending time in Artist Alley, it's just, yeah. you know. There's a lot of great things down there. It's, yeah, it's, it's also really depressing, because you're walking around and there's some artists there that are, you know, 10 times better than me, and they you know, they don't have a book on the shelf, and they're just doing sketches for people or whatever. But it's so cool that there's this, kind of this marketplace for artists. People are going there, they're buying drawings from people, and it's just this time in our culture that I feel is uh, good to remember, you know, where yeah. people went to this, Kind of marketplace and bought artwork from the artist. And uh, it's
3: really what it's all about. I mean, there's all this noise, video games, but it's you know the comic artists. Yeah, these are the guys that are making it.
2: Yeah, the the real guts of of every show, every comic convention, I feel, is in Artist Alley. That's where it starts, and that's where the greatest. attraction happens you know between fans and creators it's, uh-huh. a, it's really there's a lot of special moments that happen there I that's how I feel so I love going to Artist Alley.
3: Yeah no it's great and uh is there any anything happening in comics in general that you're kind of keen on that you any trends that
2: you're seeing? Um for the most part I keep my head down a lot for multiple reasons. Seems
3: to be the most people's answers. I don't know. Yeah, I'm Just
2: busy, man. I'm, yeah, yeah. I, I am I am really busy. I I also like to I like to try not to be too influenced by by other books because I can easily be influenced by stuff that I really enjoy. Yeah. And I want Rust to maintain its its tone and its theme. So uh but I get to read a lot of Archaea books, obviously, so... That's there, good, yeah. Lots of Archaea books that I, I'm reading through that I like a lot. I read Cyborg recently, which is really good. Oh, yeah. Reason for Dragons is an excellent book. Um, Iron uh, is, is a really, really gorgeously done book. Great story.
3: Great-looking books, too. Yeah, there are, yeah.
2: so many. I, I'm leaving a bunch out, but... Um, but yeah, those are books I get to read often.
3: Cool, that's great. Well, thanks so much for doing this, and uh, enjoy the con. Thanks,
2: thanks Matt. Con. So,
4: OK, hi, this is uh, Heidi McDonald. I am still at the Baltimore Comic Con. And uh, right now, I am sitting with Cliff Galbraith, uh, I, the the rat bastard, as we call him. But that's not an insult, folks. That's his own character. Uh, Cliff, you have had a long career doing so many things in various industries. What, what's your log line?
5: Uh, I started uh, probably, uh, well, as a young guy, you know, in my teens, I started screen printing and eventually worked my way into uh, licensing, and, you know, I created the Soruses, Rockasaurus, of Source and that probably would have been enough for me to, you know, hang my hat on, but uh, I got tired of licensing and printing t-shirts, and I got into comics and created Rat Bastard and moved on, did a development deal with Ron Howard, and, well, it almost made it onto TV, but... Uh, and then I kicked around Hollywood for a while, had a, um, a retail store down in Laguna Beach, and then finally, 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 had enough sense to come back to the East Coast, <laughs> and I landed in uh, Red Bank, New Jersey, and, uh, and 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 I met a guy named Rob Bruce, and uh, and and Rob and I today are running comic conventions of all things.
4: Right. Well, now your first
5: show was what three years ago. Uh, Two or three years ago, it's all uh, a <laughs> blur. What happened? What happened was, uh, you know, Rob sells uh, deals in rare comics and, and toys and and records. And there was a record fair uh, d- down in Asbury Park, New Jersey, and uh, it was uh, like a summer day. And I figured, okay, I'll take a ride down to the beach. Uh, Rob's going to be a block from there. I'll, I'll stop and I'll say hello to him and a couple of friends that are at they this record fair, and and, uh, and see what's going on and have a beer. And, and, I, and I went in there and I saw all these boxes of records, these white boxes. And uh, hey, comic fans, you know, those boxes, they, they kind of looked very similar to comic long boxes. I saw people flipping through these boxes looking at records. And I went over to my friend who runs the, uh, the Asbury Lanes, Jen Hampton, and I said, hey, Jen, I said, can I? can I throw a comic convention here? Is that possible? And she says, Cliff. She goes, I don't care if you sell dildos. Can I say that? (laughs)
4: Yes.
5: (laughs) Okay. I just just won't pull one out here on the show.
4: Just don't say dick, then we can't say that. Okay, I won't say
5: that. So she says, says, sure you can. She goes, just give me 350 bucks and the room's yours. So we picked a date, and uh, I called Evan Dorkin and Jamal Igle and a couple other people, and once those guys were in, we had a show. Right, right. And now, you, I think you've run it three... This, we, the, we ran it two times in, in the uh, in the lanes. I didn't want to do it two, twice in one year, but everybody talked me right. into it. And, uh, you know, I wanted to wait a whole year and do oh. something bigger, but they said, no, no, do it again, do it again. So that was uh, in the spring, and then we did another one in, in September, and people were stoked to do it again. Larry Hama came down. A whole bunch of people. Uh, Fred Van Lenthe, Charles Sewell. um, how do you pronounce it? Soul, Soul? Soul I don't I'll really know. I'll have guess. to go over there and ask them. But we've you know, we had some great guests. and um, So then we went to a convention hall and we banged on their door and we said, you know, we'd like to throw a good sized show. And I'd never done anything like that. I had a lot of friends of mine in the music business that promoted shows and concerts and things like that. But yeah, that was never my thing and I, I just figured you get a bunch of people, you rent some tables, you rent a venue and maybe get some insurance and open the doors. And we promoted the heck out of it and, and But now you have an empire, a burgeoning empire. It seemed like we only thought we were we, we thought, boy, if we could get twenty five hundred people and we got forty two hundred through the door and you know, I almost cried when I saw those people coming through the door. It was a, and this is for somebody who grew up in Asbury Park well I didn't grow up in Asbury Park, but my grandparents lived in Asbury Park. When I was a little kid, I used to go to Asbury Park. A childhood haunt. And I used to go there and and go past that building, so to actually have my event up on the marquee was a big, that's a big bucket list check right there. (laughs) So now I've done that, and uh, we're we're moving it over. Next year, we're going to move it over to uh, uh, the Berkeley Hotel for a two-day show. And unfortunately, Convention Hall may not be long for this world. It may be falling into the ocean, unfortunately. It's a lovely old dinosaur, we love it, but um, it may be on the extinction list. Yeah,
4: was it damaged in the hurricane? The
5: the metal fire doors were ripped off the walls on the side of the ocean. Wow. And uh, there's actually pictures of of my wife, Judy, and I uh, goofing around the day before the storm hits. Like, oh look, it's so windy, it's so windy and it just uh. ripped things apart. Like Those pictures are not that funny anymore.
3: Right, you know? right, right. But it,
5: it did a lot of damage. There was uh, probably uh, two feet of, uh, of, of sand in the convention center. They kind of come in with the uh, uh, back hose and things and pull it all out. I got, I got pictures of all that stuff, but I never thought it was right to put it up on a website. But it, it was it was sad. I mean, it was a real mess down there, and we barely got in under the wire to get the event. The event was actually canceled in conventional at one point, and were the people at run Convention Hall were actually trying to find us another venue. They did everything they could to help us. And in the end, we got in there. So, you know, we, we survived a storm and everything else that could possibly happen, including I was hit by a car.
4: <laughs> oh, I mean, was, You know, don't stand near Cliff. This yeah. is kind of the, the message that we're getting. Well, I, I invited Al Jaffe,
5: and he said to me, Cliff, I'll be there if I'm still alive. <laughs> and I said, Al, I will be if I... I said, me too, you know? And I was just kidding, but I guess it's something I shouldn't forget about. Um... You
4: uh, okay? So you're launching the Today Show, but you're well, also doing yeah, so th- a
5: show in, in Westchester County, correct? Well, yeah. So, so, so we 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 had a great show in Asbury Park People were Like, yay! Yeah, you know, we've got all his press and, and all these happy people. People like Evan Dorkin said he sold three times as much. Oh. Do you want to what
4: interrupting for a sale here? No. Walk and Thomas. That's uh,
5: 375. All right, we're back.
4: Okay, and uh, just selling some comics here, but okay. So you're you're also launching the show in Westchester, so.
5: Yeah, uh, it was was funny. Uh, Dan Green from the um, the New York Post called me up. And he says he says hi. He says you know I'm from the Asbury Park area originally, uh, and my dad lived in Red Bank, which is where I lived. And he says yeah. He says yeah, so my dad's you know was in Red Bank. He says I know the area. He says uh, but I couldn't make it down to Asbury Park Comic Con. He says. I was wondering if you would be interested. He says, I'm, I'm up in White Plains. And he says, I, I love what you're doing down there. And he says, well, have you ever thought of doing a show somewhere else, you know, like maybe like up here in White Plains? And I'm like, is this guy calling me up, you know? Like, uh, and I was like, well, all right. So I took a ride up there and, and looked at the venue. And oddly enough, it, it's kind of this almost the same age as, uh, as Convention Hall. It's But it, it, it's like Convention Hall, if they had taken care of it. Yeah, and uh, it's a lovely place, and the people that run it were fantastic. Uh, we got along with them really great. They they want to do something for families, uh, you know, bringing the kids and all. And so uh, after you know a couple of weeks, we, we had a deal, and we got some. All of a sudden, we got some great things. Well, I'm
4: looking at your flyer here. It's to be held June 14th uh, next year. Is that you got Scott Snyder, mm-hmm. uh, Herb Trimpe, Bob Camp, Larry Hama, Dick Ayers, John Olmstead? I mean, you know, Bob Fingerman, Jay Aspel. Uh, the list goes on. I mean, well, so, just yeah, joins. yeah, yeah. You gotta get some women guests there, though, Cliff. I have been trying to get <laughs> women guests,
5: and, and and I knew eventually you would creep up on me. I know. Me on this. Well,
4: I just was looking, and I'm like, what? There's and, no women.
5: You know, I, Steph Buscema, She's she's busy the following week, so she's she's going down to North Carolina. She says, Cliff, you know, I'd love to do your con, but
4: all right. Well, this is a friendly job. I'm going to help Cliff find some women, I, so I will. Ladies who make comics, please, yes. please come into yes. your conference. Okay, there you go. Don't uh, hold it
5: against me. Yes. I'm trying. Yes,
4: yes. Um,
5: My wife's a woman.
4: Yeah, <laughs> <Maybe>. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, it could be, you know, it's an open country. Um, <laughs> but what do you, I mean, you, your events are, are family-friendly. I mean, even when I, I talked to you when you were first starting, your first Anthony Burke, and we were even... Two or three years ago starting a comic show in a new territory seemed to be a much more risky proposition and now I know you've been talking about doing a show in Newark.
5: Well, the Newark show has become the, the White Plains okay. show but, but again, you know, going back to what I was saying about uh, my childhood roots in Asbury Park, I was born in Newark so I feel as a son of Newark uh, I need to go back to Newark and and, and and bring a little love to Newark. Yeah, but, but not, Newark wasn't loving me back. Well,
4: Also, uh, yeah, it's a tough territory. Not even comics can necessarily break some of the uh, grip of iron grip of despair that Newark has. I, I'm also a child of Jersey, so I I have many childhood nightmares about trips <laughs> to Newark. And I I it, I agree, it's a beautiful town, it has a lot of great things, but a lot of problems there as well. So, um, but but yeah, I mean, do you find? Um, what kind of audiences are you getting I mean are kids come are there women come I mean well, who's, is it all open is it, a, do I mean, all it guys going through white boxes What is it's it? what all got? of
5: those and, and here's what I think is going on uh, you know you come to a show like this and I ask people I say where you're from and they say oh well I'm just out from down the road I'm this and that even though you know, it's a big Baltimore's a big city that we're in here but a lot of these people are local I mean some of them are coming from Virginia West Virginia places like that and, 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 and Philly um, with um, with Asbury Park, we did get quite a, a hyper local. Uh, Monmouth County, Middlesex County, Ocean County, which is the counties that surround Asbury Park. Um, but we had people come from as far as Connecticut and Rhode Island and, and uh, Maryland and Delaware. But I think what we wound up with was uh, people who had never been to a comic convention before because it was right there in their backyard. And, you know, the. the I think we've talked about this before. You know, the, 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 um, the circus, when our parents were kids, the circus would come to town. Yep. And and now the circus is basically the comic convention. And so it's almost as if you can have it in any large town. Yeah. And, and people seem to love it. So uh, Another sale uh, here. We... Hey,
4: Heidi. <laughs> hey there, man. Hey. I did not realize you were being intrigued. Right. Um, you know, what's so interesting to me is that I've seen quite a few shows start up that uh, are more like what I call nerd celebrity cons or celebrity cons. You know, autograph shows absolutely have a long heritage. The Chiller Theater Convention okay, is yeah. a real, you know, la, it's a it's a mainstay in New Jersey, um, and it does very well. It draws a big crowd, but it does seem to me. Uh, you know, I hope I'm not. I, I'm not uh, prejudiced for my tribe, but it just seems to me that the comics convention, even though people might come to see a celebrity or or to dress up or whatever, but it does still seem that the cartoonists and the art. It seems to me that that's a real important part of the circus.
5: At art at shows, it is. I mean, I've seen other shows. I won't talk about other shows by name, but I mean, some of them bring in big names. Uh, you know, like a William Shatner, or, or you know. Somebody that was in some movie here or there, or whatever, or or you know Stan, who Stanley, who is you know is associated with comics in some way, I guess. Hardy <laughs> um, he created a few things, but uh, I, I I don't think that uh, I, I don't think, <laughs> I don't think that uh, people that are that big actually help a con. Uh, when I talk to other people at all, you know all the little guys at the booth, they they say they tell me that. Those people suck all the oxygen, right. and by oxygen, I really mean money out of the room. And so the, everyone is, is drawn to one corner of the, of the building. They never come over to anybody's booth. They spend their $100 on those big names to get autographs and a photograph or whatever it is that they're hawking. And they, there's no more money for anybody else to buy, right. any, or very little. Right. And we find that at these smaller shows, A, you can you can meet a Herb Trim and actually hang out and talk to him, or a Bob Camp. Uh, or, or John Holmstrom, who you know you've been staring at those Ramones records for for years, and you can actually talk to him about those days at CBS or or, or or creating Punk Magazine, or you know all these cats that that, and, that have done all these amazing things. Uh, so our our, our, our our mission really is is, is not to um, sell a lot of tickets, pack the building, and walk away uh, with, with bags of loot, although that would be nice. But our, we really want to throw a party. Right. We want to invite our friends, who happen to be comic creators, and brilliant ones, and, and, and invite some fans in, and, and put them all together, and have cosplay, and sign autographs, and pose for pictures and have some fun and bring in the families uh, and not necessarily uh, bring in wrestlers, uh, movie stars, and, and all those people. Right. Like, really, when you call something a Comic Con, I just don't think it's really fair to build it as a Comic Con and then have all this other stuff and then a few comic right. creators sprinkled in. Right. I think it's disingenuous and I think it's, for lack of a better term, it's just a big corporate grab.
4: Right, right. So, well, but it sounds like you're running some. You know, what we might call an old school, but yeah. but very updated. And and, and uh, I think probably what we're talking about the, the circus, the part, the, the appeal of this particular circus is that it is a lot more participatory. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and you do have those one on one interactions and you can you know, you dress up and you, you I, I think it has to do with social media and like, and like just how everything is very integrated now. And you're becoming part of you're you're more than just a spectator watching a a guy flip off a trapeze. You're oh, it, you're, it, you're kind of on the trapeze yourself in a way.
5: Well, you know, Rob Rob calls you know some of the cosplay people attention whores. and uh, I'm just like you know my, my my wife says they they like to celebrate their own personal weirdness. Yeah, so yeah. Whatever way you want to look at it, yeah. you know, they're, they're all kindred spirits. They all have some base interest in, in comics, and, and from there, you know, everybody's entitled to what they get out of it.
4: Yeah. Well, uh, we look forward to uh, more shows and uh, the bird, the empire, the empire, the <laughs> crucial entertainment empire. So, uh, well, thank you so much, Cliff.